0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Soul Focus Radio. This is your host, Martin Teddy Bear Moses Friedman, and I'm really excited to be joined by Nicole O'Font, one of our facilitators and trainers with Soul Focus Group. Hey, Nicole, how are you doing?
1: Hey, I'm well. I'm happy to be here.
0: It's exciting. How's, the, how's life in Jersey today?
1: Life is good. It's such a beautiful day out. Um, we have, you know, warm weather. It's in the 70s yeah. and,
2: um,
1: you know, there's still some snow that's melting. So it's funny to wow. see that. But I love I love spring, right? And spring is coming because it just, there's so much potential, I think, in the air with the renewed life. So I love it.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. And, you know, we're all coming up. I think for most of us, we're coming up on the year anniversary of, you know, of COVID, you know, not that COVID wasn't around before then, but I know, I think the day for me when I came off the road was March 13th. So we're coming up on those anniversaries of quarantine and all that, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. My daughter told me the other day that it will be a year. um, And I forget which day exactly, but that she we've been kind of, she said since lockdown since the original lockdown here in new york right, right. um, and it's insane i remember back then you know thinking okay two weeks right we can do this for two weeks mm. that's fine and you know i'm we are a family of introverts so right. it wasn't scary to us you know the the idea of not being in touch with others but i, I remember back then thinking about it lasting longer like once we went beyond the two weeks and the, the sadness that I felt mm. thinking like, oh, it might, we might be like this till the fall. And so I, I remember consciously thinking, oh, I need to just do this day by day. And because it, as soon as I think like we may be here in September still, you know, I, I had a hard time dealing with that. So it's amazing to think like, well, it's been a year and, you know, we have survived and we're lucky for that. So I'm grateful.
0: Absolutely. Me too. Me too. And now we're now people are talking about hopefully everything being all the way open by this next September. Right. Which is just amazing. I remember they're feeling the same way. Like, you know, I know I'll be back on the road in May or June. You know, that's what I remember thinking last March. And, you know, here it is. I've been out a few times, you know, to travel, to do some in-person trainings. But really, it's it's just the shift in life in this last year has been incredible. Just absolutely incredible.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so you know the the purpose of this really is you know just to to get to know you a little bit to um, share with our listeners of Soul Focus Radio who you are. Hopefully, a lot of them will be coming to our virtual workshops and then someday soon in person workshops, and we'll get to meet you. And this gives them an opportunity to just kind of get a an idea of who you are. And you know, as I've said on many of our previous podcasts, you know, at Soul Focus Group we kind of talk about the difference between who we are and what we are. And I want to start with a what you are. So just tell us like what you are in terms of what do you do and, and, and give us a little bit of your backstory. Let's start there.
1: Yeah. So I am, I, sh- I, sh- it's funny because, you know, I will str- I struggle with the who I am, but I also struggle with the, what I am.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm,
1: I've been a student for a long time. So that is kind of central to my identity I am finishing up my PhD this term. I defend my dissertation actually in a a little over a week. So, uh, yeah, so so that's kind of, that's been a big part of my identity and my, so I am in a program called Urban Systems at Rutgers University in Newark and um, Mm. my research Specifically, so I'm on a, there's different tracks in my, in my program and I am on an educational policy track and my research looks at how school policies and practices and the curriculum kind of perpetuate, you know, rape culture is really um, what I, I look at. So I work with young women in high school to explore that, right. To explore the meanings that they're making of the policies and the curriculum within their schools and how they experience that, right? How they feel oppressed by some of the messages they're receiving. And so I also do, uh, I mean, I'm I'm a facilitator with Soul Focus Group. So I'm doing, you know, anti-racist trainings and and organizing around the country. But um, in New Jersey, locally, you know, I work with other folks around organizing Uh, around, you know, anti-racist principles. This past year in COVID, I've also been working with mutual aid groups. And we started a mutual aid group here in the city I live in, in Newark, New Jersey. And, you know, the premise of that was, we recognized that there was a need for folks to have access to food. So I mean, our county and our city was doing a lot to get people groceries, but you had to like drive up to these parks to pick up grocery boxes. And there's a lot of folks in our community who don't drive um, or there are folks who are undocumented and don't necessarily feel comfortable, you know, engaging the state in that way. Right. So we provide a service where you can contact us, give us a grocery list and we'll, we'll send out folks to do your shopping and deliver them to your door. So that's been really fulfilling because I think early on, In the pandemic, a lot of people, or at least for me, wanted to know what can I do, right? What can I do to support my community and to help, especially because, you know, I saw all the pain that my community was experiencing. We had high numbers of of cases in our community and high numbers of deaths. So it was really important for me to,
2: to do that.
1: Nice, nice. That's a bit of my organizing work. Uh-huh. I'm also a mom. Uh, you know, I have a 22 year old. He'll be 23 in a couple weeks and a 16 year old daughter. And I think, you know, going along with a mom, I'm always, I always will identify as a teen mom, you know, although I'm far from my teen years. That's such a big part of uh, who I am and what's shaped who I've become. So that's always important for me to center. This might be more than the what, but I'm also a you know, Puerto Rican woman. Um, yeah. You know, and in, in living in a primarily uh, black and Latinx community, so uh, again, that's something that really shapes just my per- perspective in the world.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And and you know, I always have to tell people it's not a perfect process of you know who or what or mm-hmm. you know you know we are who we are, and I think part of the you know the whole thing is that the world has sort of gotten us mixed up too in the who's and the what. So I'm always just curious what people's answers are, you know, and I, for me, the who is just sort of our essence, you know, what, it, what would you describe? What's the essence of Nicole font at the, you know, at, at the core of who you are, how would you define that?
1: Love and compassion. Mm. I, uh, you know, I, it's something like I just know That that's who I am. Just this, like, just extreme love and compassion. That sometimes it's, it overwhelms me. My, just, and my empathy, right? My ability, I'm such an empath. And that has been, you know, it's, it's been amazing. And I think it's opened a lot of doors for me, but it's also been a cause of a lot of pain for me. So uh, I'm learning to embrace that more and to see the strength in it, because I think growing up i I somewhere somehow and maybe in multiple probably in multiple places received the message that um that was weakness right the 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 empathy and the compassion that I felt were other for others is a weakness, and I would get walked all over whatever you know the 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 narratives are about people who can feel others you know joy and pain. Yeah, I got the message. It wasn't good to, to be that. And um, I think first, there was a time in my life, I tried to disconnect from that feeling, from all the feelings. And I'm learning now to really embrace that and see that as a, a huge strength. And it's funny, because I'm, I'm I'm a very introverted person, as I, I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't necessarily like, I don't have a lot of friends. <laughs> I don't, I'm not good at uh, staying in touch with people and, uh, you know, being social, you know, that is not my thing. I don't want to go out for coffee <laughs> uh, on the week right. with anyone, but it doesn't mean I, I don't feel connected to people. You know, it doesn't mean I don't want to ever be around people. So I was just thinking yesterday, actually, I. Um, I before COVID times, I was running with a local running group. And I loved going to the group runs and just hanging out. I mean, you kind of fall into your pace group. Um and I love just hanging out in the group and listening to everyone talk. And you could hear, I mean, these like people love to talk to one another one another and catch up and and I just wanted to just run and listen and be in their presence. And I Felt so fulfilled by that.
2: <laughs> um, mm-hmm.
1: But the idea of like going and talking myself is just not something that I want to do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But that's okay. I'm Like I'm learning that's okay. That it doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. So, and, and seeing my, my ability to empathize with others as, I don't know, a super strength almost, right? I am so in tune with yeah. people's, what they're you know what they're feeling or their emotions and sometimes it's on um you know it's i can't put words to it right it's just a feeling in my body
2: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i think back to the like grade school playground um which my school was a concrete you know playground and seeing a, a student from another grade fall and no one saw him I thought, but me, right? No one came, no, like mm-hmm. no aid came to to his rescue or anything. And and I just remember as a kid, I must have been in like third grade, third or fourth grade, feeling so awful for him, right? Feeling like, oh, I, I just felt like I felt his pain. <laughs> and at, you know, in my child mind thinking, what's wrong with me, right? Like something's wrong with me mm-hmm. and I'm backward. And now sometimes as an adult, I look at how we treat each other in this world and think what's wrong with them <laughs> right like what is wrong what has you know our world done to us to to keep us uh, disconnected from one another's humanity and that's it right i feel so connected to humanity and to to life
2: yeah
0: that that makes a lot of sense you know that you would be working now with soul focus group right because everything we talk about is a return to human solidarity uh, yeah. with all of these forces that have been designed to keep us separate. I find it fascinating the concept of, and I think you did a good job of, of describing it, but the concept of being both an introvert and an empath simultaneously, right? Because when you think of of somebody who's very empathic or very empathetic, you think of somebody that's constantly like in relationship with other humans. And I think you you really the way you laid that out, I thought was really fascinating to sort of exist in both of those places at the same time. In some ways they can seem contradictory, but I think the way you laid it out really makes a lot of sense.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, thank you. Um, I'm glad I make sense. <laughs> I <guess>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah, I, I we are such a, you know, we tend to think in such dichotomous ways, right? Like these two can't coexist. And then if they do, as individuals, we make that to mean like something's wrong with us, right? Or we don't make sense. And so, yeah, I think, you know, and and self-focus has definitely helped me with this just to recognize that we're all complex, right? And there isn't one way to be in this world and one way to experience and to honor that, right? To honor that in myself, because I would honor that in anyone else and see the beauty in that.
2: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so much of it is us being able to see ourselves in other people. And I think that's why having those empathetic abilities are so powerful for what you do, because, you know, I think for me, you know, also feeling pretty empathetic and pretty, you know, highly sensitive as a person, I I, I believe that it helps me because I can see myself in almost everybody else. You know, whatever, you know, the old saying there, but for the grace of God go I, i you know, for me, it's there, but for the grace. So fill in the blank, go mm-hmm. I. Right? I don't feel like there's any person or situation that I couldn't have potentially been, and it. And I think that has a lot of of the empatheticness in its roots. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to explore a little bit more of what you talked about in terms of your your doctoral thesis that you're defending. Can you tell us a little bit more about how how you came to do that? I, I think it's a pretty fascinating subject. What inspired you to sort of take you down that road and, and just tell us a little bit more, you know, if if you could.
1: Yeah. So I, I remember, so I think, I guess I have this, um, like feminist identity. Mm -hmm. I, I remember being, I don't even remember how old I was or what year it was, but my brother used to get sports illustrated. (laughs) And I remember Anna Mm Kornakova, the tennis player, uh, was on the cover one year or one week. Right. Right. And I read the article and, and she was a beautiful woman. I, I didn't know much about tennis, but there was a local program that I was in. We got free tennis lessons. So I was interested enough. I read the article and I remember being so angry that her her looks were, were the center of this article. <laughs> I mean, that was mm-hmm. all it was about. And then I found out like she wasn't even that good, <laughs> right? Um, That's right it just centered her beauty. And I was, I was pissed off. And I and my father suggested that I should write a letter to the editors. Um, and I didn't. But I, you know, that I think about that sometimes with my own work, right, that this has always been um, something that I cared about passionately, like how, how women are portrayed, and how, you know, the stereotypes are perpetuated. Um, and in this case, through media and, and the narrative, right in the discourse. And then I, my mom, I don't, I don't remember why she would tell me this story, but she would frequently tell me about how at her job, and you know, in the seventies and eighties, women were required to wear skirts and dresses. Mm. And I just remember thinking like, that's just crazy. (laughs) right? Mm. Um, And my mom hated it. And my mom wasn't, um, she wasn't someone that I could, that I imagined, right. Like enjoying going to work, dressing up. Right. She just wasn't that person. Um, So I, after I had both my children, I went back to college
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: I was, I majored in sociology and women's and gender studies. So I, I, double majored. Going into my senior or my final year, I was invited to apply for this honors thesis program. So I, I, you know, I was thinking about it and I wasn't sure, well, what would I had to, I had to write in my application what I would study. So I wasn't sure. And of course, like, this is another story, but like the imposter syndrome, all that came up, like, can I actually do this? Do I really belong there? And as I said, my kids were in, in grade school at this time, and they, their school would send home these monthly newsletters. And so during this time, one of the kids came home with a monthly newsletter, and there was a picture in it. And I wish I could find this picture, but it was the students, and I, I think they were fifth grade students, out on the playground doing a science experiment. Um, and this school has a, a uniform requirement. And at the time, this isn't true any longer, but at the time, girls were required to wear skirts. Mm-hmm. And in this picture, it was a young boy and a young girl. And they were the experiment they were doing was happening on the ground. And you could see in the picture, the boy was just down on the ground like his face in the experiment, right, like looking mm-hmm. as closely mm-hmm. as he could, and you could see the, the the female student, the the girl was, you know, squatting down. Her her skirt was pulled over her knees, and she just, to me anyway, looked uncomfortable in the photo. Mm-hmm. And I was so amazed about about how discomfort right, can can be communicated through the photo. And it made me wonder, well, you know, is she consciously thinking about covering her, her knees or is she constantly thinking about, I mean, consciously thinking about um, making sure her knees were together, her legs were closed, right? So when she squats mm-hmm. down and taking up less space because she was physically taking up less space than, the boy next to her. And so I thought then like, that's it. That's the study I have to do. (laughs) You know, I need to explore what these students are experiencing, these female students that are being required to wear a skirt. And so that's what I did for my, this was an undergraduate honors thesis. I interviewed third and fifth graders about their experiences being required to wear skirt. And I also talked to their teachers and, and administrators, uh, why, you know, why they felt it was needed in that school, you know, looking at the history of putting students in uniforms and even, you know, thinking about what the, the Native American boarding schools, right? This idea mm-hmm. that we have to, you know, get get people to conform to a certain way, right? To look a certain way because that's what's respectable. And so that that work really inspired my current work. Um, that inspired mm-hmm. me. At the time, I thought I was going to law school after finishing college. And I had to, for my honors thesis, I had to present it to my department. And a friend who was a, a PhD student at the time came to my presentation. And afterwards, she said to me, you don't want to go to law school. You want to get your PhD. And I remember being so angry at her. Cause I was like, you know, what do you mean? I like, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> and then I, you know, after sitting with that for a little while, I uh, realized mm-hmm. this work, I don't want it to stop here. Right. The exploration of um, young girls experiences. And mm-hmm. um and so that led me, I guess, to the PhD program. Sorry, that was a long way to
0: <laughs> get to. No, don't be sorry at all.
1: But then I think for, for my research, it's it's deeply personal, right? I think about the experiences I had in school myself as a, you know someone who identifies as female. In seventh grade, my mother worked for the school that I was in. And teachers pulled her aside and asked her if she would take me to get a breast reduction. Oh. Yeah. it was like seventh grade. I was 12. And just what that, how that, you know, the, the objectification that I experienced in school and that I saw my, my, my friends, my female friends experience there. were, I mean, there's a lot of stories. And then, you know, I said I was a teen mom. I mean, my pregnant body <laughs> literally was something that was, you know, Objectified or deemed inappropriate for this space, so I I became interested in exploring more. You know how how this happens, right? How what are the other ways that schools, as an institution, send messages about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate? And then I think what my work ultimately is is thinking about how we make certain people invisible in schools. And, um, you know, I want to be clear, it's not just girls that we do this to there's for many different reasons. There's all, all types of groups. And I think there's a lot of work on the treatment or mistreatment of black boys in school. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, through the sexualization of and objectification of girls, um, and particularly girls of color, there's really this promotion of invisibility mm-hmm. within schools. Mm-hmm. And invisibility is really painful, I think, in mm-hmm. my experience, right? To be made to feel invisible is a really violent thing.
0: Yeah, well thank you for sharing that. Um and absolutely never any apologies necessary. I mean you appreciate, you know, how you laid it out and you know, I think for, you know, we're going to wrap up this this uh, part one in just a minute and have some more questions for you for part two. I'm really interested in, you know, do all the research that you've done, and, and I, I really hear a strong, like, personal emotional connection to it's not just a intellectual academic exercise for you. You know, what are you seeing as the way out for us, and how does that connect to soul focus group technology? How are you seeing, you know, how are you seeing us getting out of this problem that has been put on us by patriarchy and, and racism?
1: Yeah. So thank you for that for mm-hmm. all these questions, right? Because I, you know, we live in the world and we don't really think about why or the how of our experiences. Mm-hmm. But you know, healing is central. You know, and and that's so connected to Soul Focus Group, right? Like we need to heal from our experiences and, and the way we've been treating each other and the, the even generational effects that that's had. And for me, part of that is, I mean, it's, it's living and, and leading or led like be, my life being led by love and compassion. And the other part of that I think is, is a constant, Reflection and self-reflection, why do I think that this is the standard, right? Who told me that this is the standard? Where did that come from? So being curious about those things that i that I hold myself to, right and realizing that those narratives that we've been sold or told are are not necessarily true. And for me, that's a big part of that is like forgiving myself um, or being more gentle with myself because we are so hard on ourselves, all of us, and hold ourselves to these standards that have been imposed upon us in a way to keep us down. Mm -hmm. So that's where I see like love and gentleness with ourselves and one another is so important to this work. The other thing I think is feeling connected to ourselves first, like our own body. I see us as so disconnected from our body. And I think that keeps us in this it keeps us from being able to heal, right? And I see our disconnection from our own body as part of the disconnection that we have from one another, right? Or the disconnection that we have from our planet and Mm. animals, right? Like we can mistreat so much of life because we don't even have a a deep connection with our own, you know, living body. And so I really really believe that finding a way to connect people to their own bodies is uh, the first step or one part of doing the healing work. And I, I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't talk about it, but you know, I think fitness is another thing that I don't want to say fitness, but movement is another thing that is really, I guess, dear to me. And that's because Mm -hmm. It's not something, I mean, I was a terrible athlete at everything (laughs) my whole life. And so, because Mm -hmm. I was a bad athlete, I thought, oh, then I'm bad at movement. And so, it wasn't something that I, I think, really embraced until I got to graduate school. But it helped me connect to my body and connect to um, my strength and connect to also feeling, right? I mean, there were parts of my body and like my, you know, that I couldn't feel. So if someone said, oh, you know, like tighten this muscle, I could not do it because I just had no connection. And so like movement and meditation and just practicing being present has really helped me and helped me move forward on my healing path. And that having more compassion for myself has allowed me to have that for others, right? And to want others to connect to their own bodies. In the way that I, you know in the way that i've now been able to with mine
0: beautiful beautiful well that's awesome um i've really appreciated you know i, I i've definitely gotten to know you over the last couple of years and um you know i really appreciate getting to know you in this way um and appreciate how uh honest and open you've been uh with our listeners so uh thank you for that and we're gonna we're gonna record a part two in just a minute uh, so I want to thank you, Nicole, for uh, for sharing so much.
1: Oh, thank you, Martin. I appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate you. And we appreciate all of you, our Soul Focus Radio listeners. You know we do. You know we appreciate you and love you. And we want you to be a part of, of the journey with all of us and all the different kinds of journeys that we're on. In order to do that, come visit us at soulfocusedgroup.com. Listen to our podcast on all the different platforms the Apple platform, uh, Android, Spotify, Google. Check us out everywhere. Check us out on YouTube. We're getting more and more content on YouTube every day. Um, and we ask that you stay safe and stay, stay sane, whatever that means to you, stay well. And most of all, uh, we ask that you stay soul-focused.
1: wish to support and represent the Soul Focus Group, check out our apparel store at our website, www.soulfocusgroup.com forward slash shop.